Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 46. Isaiah 46. We are told repeatedly in the scriptures to remember. Hundreds of times in the scriptures, we're counseled and commanded to remember. Our Lord said, remember Lot's wife. And the reason he said that is because that's who we are by nature. Our Lord said of the bread and wine, do ye this in remembrance of me. We must always remember the Lord Jesus Christ. But why must we be continually told to remember? Two simple reasons. Number one is that we're so prone to forget. One of the things we all lost in Adam was our ability to remember certain things, mainly anything spiritual, anything true, or anything that's God-honoring. We have to be told to remember because we forget. And secondly, we're told to remember because we're, if we're to know what God will do, we must remember what he has already done. God never changes. Whatever he has done or has said he will do, that's what he'll do because that's always for his glory. God's glory is preeminent. That means it's the most important thing there is. Now, let me see if I can illustrate, and this is a little bit embarrassing, but it's appropriate, I think. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, I was on the football team, and we got to an early game that year, and I was like the third-string quarterback and like the second-string defensive halfback. And the game was going along, and uh, on defense, the first-string defensive halfback over here got hurt on, on a third-down play, the other team. And as he was being helped off the field, suddenly the coach realized that they were getting ready to punt, and we only had 10 guys on the field. And he turns around like this, and I learned pretty early, stand next to the coach because you might just get put in the game. And he, he looks around, and he just grabs me and says, get in there. And so I go running out there, you know, and I'm all of about 5'3 and 115 pounds. And the guy next to me is 6'3 and about 195. He's, got, he's a high school All-American going to play for the University of Missouri the next year. There's no doubt in my mind who was supposed to catch the ball and run it back. That guy. But, you know, funny things happen with football. And this guy punts this low punt, and it lands right between us and goes right on by us, and we turn around to run and get it. And it just keeps bouncing my way. And I'm thinking... Come on, Roger, get it, get it, you know. And finally, it's just no doubt, it's right there in front of him, and he's going, get it, coffee. And so I pick it up, and as I turn around, man, here's this army of bad guys coming at me. And I'm thinking, I'm toast. But good old Roger, he comes flying in there, and he knocks like three guys down completely, and here I go. Well, about 40 yards later, you know, I get tackled, and, I come running off the field, and I remember the coach looking at me like, who are you and where did you come from? Now, 
You say, why do I remember that? I mean, I can replay that in my head like I had it on film. Why do I remember that so well? You know why? That's part of my glory. You say, is that the best you got? Pretty much. That's about as good as it ever got. Okay? It's part of my glory. Remember Lot's wife. I need to remember that because I'm just, except for the grace of God, I'm just another pillar of salt. And so are you. My glory is so insignificant when I remember Christ. He's all and in all and can do all for me, all I need. I need to remember that. Now, Isaiah chapter 46. You see verse 8 says, Remember this and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember what? Remember this? Remember what? Well, this refers to the first verses that came before this. The scriptures repeatedly and always tell natural man, remember who and what you are. And this remember in verse 8 refers to these early verses. And let me give you the context of this chapter. In the book of Daniel, we learn that King Nebuchadnezzar swept down and took all of Israel captive. And he gathered up all the people and took them back to Babylon, and they were his slaves. He took all the treasure, anything that was any good he took with him, even the treasures from the vessels, the vessels from the tabernacle he took with him. And this happened during King Jehoiakim's reign, and Israel was captive. And these verses are a prophecy here. This chapter is a prophecy that they, this was going to happen. They were going to take them captive, and they were going to be there in Babylonia, but not forever. That God was going to send somebody from the east to come there and rescue them, and it would happen. A man named Cyrus would come down out of Persia and would conquer Babylon and not send Israel back. He'd take them back and restore them to what they were, where they were. And this foretells, you see, the fall and captivity of Adam and all his race. When Adam fell, we all became captives of sin. And that's Nebuchadnezzar taking Israel back to Babylon. But it also foretells that Christ is coming back to set his people free, just like Cyrus would come and rescue Israel, set them free. And you see in Isaiah 46, verse 1, it reads, Bel boweth down, and Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Bel and Nebo were, uh, were idols, God's little g that these Babylonians worshipped. And your carriages were heavy laden. They were a burden to the weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. This is foretelling that no longer would anybody bow down to Bel and Nebo. No, they'd take those guys, those false idols, and throw them on the back of a cart or on the, strap them to the back of a donkey, and they'd take them back and melt them down. That's what was going to happen to those gods. And 
You see, verse 3 says, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me. And that means carried by me from the belly. And that's a picture of being born again. God's people are born again. And they're carried from the womb. And even to your old age I am he. And even to your hoary hairs, your gray hair, will I carry you. I've made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. You see, those who do not worship Christ, you know what? They, they, they have to carry their idols around like a burden. Do you, you ever see somebody with a, they got a cross around their neck or they've got a, uh, what's the, that, that uh, thing they carry the luck for good luck or whatever it is. They, they, you know, and those are idols made out of gold and silver. And, you know, you say, well, you know, we don't much, uh, we don't much have that sort of thing in this country. Not like we used to. But you go down to Mexico and you come into this Pueblo, a couple hundred people living there and they're living on dirt floors and wood walls and, you know, little cinder block here and there. And then they got a cathedral, huge thing. And you go in there and here's a big statue of Mary. So beautiful and gold gilded and all this kind of thing. It's still going on. But, you know, if something happens and they uh, they have a, a, a big... Uh, annual thing there in Mexico, the, the, the uh, festival of the uh, Virgin of Guadalupe. And that's, you know what they do? They come in and they take the statue of the Virgin Mary and put her on a cart and they carry her around. You know why? She can't walk. <laughs> she can't move herself. She can't carry herself anywhere. And that's what this is saying. God is saying here, all these idols, they got to be carried. He said, you don't have to carry me. He said, I'll carry you. From the minute I caused you to be born again, I'll carry you through this life. What a precious promise that is to us. We're accepted in the beloved. You see here in verse 5, we read, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me? We may be alike. You see, by nature, all men and women make the terrible and blasphemous mistake of thinking that the true and living God is either like false gods or like us. <laughs> and in our day, as I say, people don't make many idols much anymore. Uh, no, we don't give our gold in this country. We don't give our gold and silver to a goldsmith and tell him to make an idol. You see, look at verse 6. It says, these men in, in Babylonia, what they did is they lavish gold out of a bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith, and he makes it a god, little g. They fall down, yea, and they worship that. They bear him upon the shoulder, they carry him, they set him in his place, and he stands there. And from that place he shall not remove himself, yea. One shall cry unto him, yet can he not answer nor save him out of his trouble." This God doesn't do anybody any good. He's impotent. He's helpless. He's hopeless. He can't help anybody. But in our day in this country, we don't do that anymore. We really don't. We don't give our gold to Goldsmith and say, make an idol. You know what we do with it? We keep it. 
We keep it for ourselves. We lavish it on ourselves. Why? Because we make ourselves gods, little g. You know this do your own thing. Boy, that was the beginning of it. That was the beginning. And it's no better than pagan idol worship. Our God, you know where he lives in this country? Most people, you know where their God lives? They walk in the bathroom and look in the mirror and they behold their God. We've made ourselves into gods. And that's why it says here in verse 8, remember this and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. This needs to be brought to mind again and again and again. Why do we meet here again and again and again? You kids think, are we going to church again? <laughs> I understand that. I understand it. But we do because we need to remember. Why does a pastor get up every time he preaches, and it's the same message, Christ crucified. Let me give you three reasons why. We need to remember Otherwise, we'll forget. Number two, because the man who's preaching, I'm a transgressor just like you are. I'm a sinner just like you are. And the third reason is if somebody's telling you the truth from up here, it's because you see that it says, be a man. Be a man. Man up. This business of uh, saying what the people want to hear by nature, I tell you, that's sucking up to the wrong God, little G, to the little God sitting out there in the typical church house today. And it's because a man wants a raise, he wants some more money, he wants a bigger house, a better car. And listen, a true man is going to tell us who we are, so we'll remember we're just like Lot's wife. And then he's going to tell us who Christ is, so we'll remember that's who we want to be in. All right. Remember who we are, and then remember who God is. And then look at verse 9. It says, remember, here it is again. Remember the former things of old, for I'm God and there's none else. I'm God and there's none like me. Why must we be continually told to remember? Because we're so prone to forget. Let me illustrate this to you. I know there's some kids here. Kids, I hate to tell it, rat you out here. I know I don't mean to embarrass you, but I just know who you are because I was just like you. How many times my mother said to me, stop talking with your mouth full. I'm sitting at the table. Stop talking with your mouth full. And I still have to be told occasionally to not do it. But why do we need to be told that again and again and again? You know why? We, I know what the kids say. Oh, for God. How about, don't interrupt me when I'm talking. You got to tell them again and again and again. Wait your turn. How about do your homework? We either lie about it or we say, I forgot. And how about share? How about be nice? Now, oh, here's a good one. Brush your teeth. You got to be told almost every night. And mom says, why do I have to tell you that every night? Well, I forget. I forget. You know, the simple truth is we do forget. And that's why the scripture says, remember, remember, remember. God commands us to remember. It's instruction to his children. Just like you tell your kids, brush your teeth so their teeth won't fall out. 
God tells us to remember so we'll know who our Savior is, so we'll know salvation's in Christ, so that we'll remember it's by his bloodshed that my sin's put away. It's by his righteousness that I can stand before God perfect, that my teeth won't all fall out and I get sent to hell. You say, that's not the same. Uh, You know, it's the same nature saying the same thing. I'm sorry. And God tells us to remember because it's correction for his children. God knows we still have a rebellious nature as well as a new nature. Why has God recorded and preserved in a book here some of what he's done? He knows otherwise we'd soon forget it. God in mercy has preserved former things here, old things that he's done. You know, uh, I'm trying to quit saying old things over and over and over going to my kids because I'm afraid they'll put me in a home. They're going to go, you know, he's lost his mind. That's all he talks about. Plus, kids don't want to hear about the old stuff. No, they don't hear about the new stuff. Well, there's nothing new with God. It's all right here. If you want to know the truth, you want to find out about who he is, what he's done, why he's done it, read the book. He's God. He's the only true God. There's none beside him. There's none like him. You see, verse 10 says, He declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I'll do all my pleasure. Let me illustrate this to you if I can. Let's consider all this turmoil in the Middle East. Now, you guys, you probably get tired of looking at it, but you can't avoid it, right? Let me ask you some questions and answer them. What's really going on over there? I don't know, but God does. Who's going to end up having his way? The Egyptians? The terrorists? The Libyans? The Iranians? The Israelis? The U.S.? Who's going to have his way? God's going to have his way over there. Who's going to be in charge when the smoke clears? Same one who was in charge before the smoke started. God's in charge. Whose counsel is really needed to solve this? God's counsel, because only his counsel shall stand. What's going to happen? Whatever God determined from the foundation of the world to happen. Who's going to be pleased with the outcome? God will be pleased. Why? Because he says, I'll do all my pleasure. You see verse 10 again, read it again. With that in mind, declaring the end from the beginning. He knows who's going to win, who's going to get the victory. He is. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. What's going to happen? I don't know, but he does. My counsel shall stand. He's determined already the best thing in the world for us, his children, and for his glory. And he says, I'll do my pleasure. I'll do my pleasure. Everything he does is perfect. Bring it a little closer to home. What about the economy? Will business get better? I don't know. God's business is doing absolutely according to his plan. Will I go broke or will you? I don't know. But God won't go broke. It's all his anyway. Danny, I'm not worried about you losing all your cattle. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He can give you more cattle if you need them. The riches of Christ are called unsearchable. If you and I can't provide for ourselves, now that'd be a trial, I understand, but God will provide all his children's needs according to his riches and glory. 
Will the housing market get better or get worse? Well, I'm not too worried about it because Christ has already gone to prepare a place for me to dwell, <laughs> for his children to dwell. Stock market going up, going down. Is it going to soar or is it going to crash? Who knows? God knows. But we'd be wise to commit all we have, even our very soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never changed. He's not going up and he's not going down because he's already perfect. Now, God either planned everything or he didn't. God's either in charge or he's not. God's either almighty or he's not. God knows everything or he doesn't. Now, which is it? Which is it? The word says, I'm God and there's nobody beside me. <laughs> what about this presidential election? Danny and I talked a minute about it. You know, God's already appointed the victor. That's not the question of the day. The question is, what about this election? Hmm? The election of grace. The day will arrive for every candidate, for every office, win or lose, they would gladly trade their high office in order to be part of the high calling of God in Christ, to be in the, to have some part in the election of grace. Oh, to be chosen, even as the least of all the saints. Yeah. Who among you would entrust the future well-being of uh, this little fellow back in the corner or the little young lady up front? Who here would entrust the entire future well-being of one of these little children to the child? Just one day you'd pack up, you and your wife, and head out and say, Hey, pal, I hope you get along fine. <laughs> you'd say, That'd be a disaster. He'd do himself great harm if not die. You and I, who know how to give good gifts to our children. Do we think God does not know how to treat his children? Huh? God chose children from Adam's fallen race. He doesn't leave them alone. You see verse, uh, look here at verse, uh, uh, turn, look at Isaiah 49, a page over, at verse 14. But Zion said, God's people said, the Lord's forsaken me and my Lord's forgotten me. Now, I'm sure nobody here has ever done that or thought that or said that. Not one time have you ever gone, he's just left me plumb alone. He's forsaken me. Well, they were doing that in this day. And look what the Lord answered. He said, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Now, listen to me. Most of us think no way would any woman ever do that. Just walk off and leave a nursing child? Would we do that? The Lord answers that question right. He says, yea, they might forget. A woman could do that. But he says, yet will I not forget you. He said, I'll remember you always. And, you know, I remember something later that happened that same football season where I was, now the other guy was hurt, so now I'm playing that halfback there against this team. And this hole opens up, and this 200-pound fullback comes thundering through there. 
man, I'm going to tackle him. And I go up and we collide. Well, when I take my pads off that night, I've got cleat marks right here on my chest. And then another set of my arm. That guy ran over me like I was paper mache. And by the way, that's not part of my glory, okay? You know, that's, that, I didn't tell that part, did I? Talking about my glory. But you know how I remember it? You can come up here. Well, don't now, but I meant you could come up and run your finger like this. A few days after that guy stepped on my forearm, my arm swelled up huge, like this high off my arm. And I had to go to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, we got to lance that. And he took his scalpel out and cut it, and oh, you know, stitched it up. I got a hole in my arm to this day. It reminds me constantly of that guy running over me like I wasn't there. You say, how does the Lord remember all these people and who we are and that he wouldn't forsake us and everything? Look at verse 15, verse 16. He says, I won't forget you. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands in glory. You know the Lord Jesus Christ has scars on the palm of his hand. Every time he touches anything like that, you know what he remembers? What we did to him at Calvary and why he took it to put away our sin, to save us from our sin, and to come back one day and take us to be with our Heavenly Father. It's glorious, isn't it, to remember that? That was the plan in the beginning. It's the plan now, and it'll always be the plan. How do I know? God wrote it in a book. So we'd know the truth when it was revealed to us. So we'd believe the truth when it was preached to us. And so we'd remember the truth until faith gives way to sight. These poor people of God... In, in Isaiah here, they, the people who were going to wind up in Babylon for years and years and years of captivity, just like we've been slaves to sin all these years, they would need a prophecy to tell them, to encourage them, to let them know God had not forgotten them. He remembered his own. They would need to remember the promise of God during their captivity in order to have hope that one day one was coming to set them free. We need the same hope. You want it? Read the book. Christ is coming back. You see verse 11 of Isaiah 46? It says, Calling a ravenous bird, and that's a swift bird, a fast bird. From the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country... Yea, I've spoken it, I'll bring it to pass, I purposed it, I'll also do it. This swift bird was the prophecy that there was going to be a man come from the east and rescue them. Now, let me tell you, that happened. How do we know that? Well, it's recorded in the book later, but it's, uh, the historians record, uh, you know, and that stuff they carve in stone over there from centuries back. It talks about Cyrus sweeping down and conquering Babylon. Right? This is great. Do you know what? He was considered the fastest army in the world. They almost all rode horses. They would sweep down and conquer a country in just days. Every horseman carried a lance. You know what was on the lance? A flag, a banner. You know what it had on it? A golden eagle. The fastest bird in that whole part of the world. 
You say, wow, why did they pick that? So these folks would know when the ravenous bird, the swift bird slipped down. They'd go, there he is. That's the one going to set us free. Why is this recorded? So when we read it, they go, that's the one who can set me free. The Lord Jesus Christ can save me from my sin. That's why it's the way it is. And he says, I've spoken it. How do we know that? It's written in the book. He said, I'll do it. How do we know that? He's done everything else he said he'd do in the book. Whatever God purposes, that's what happens. And we'd be roused to read the word of God so we know the truth when we hear it and to recognize the absence of truth or a lie when it's told to us. Here's the warning in verse 12. Hearken unto me, you stout-hearted. And that's not uh, like brave men or something. That means double-hearted or uh, doubt-hearted, those who doubt. Hearken unto me, you doubtful, that are far from righteousness. This is not a good thing. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, and boy, you're really trying to make a point. Uh, Brother Danny was telling me about a, uh, a cow that got down recently and how he went out there, and, and uh, despite the other cows trying to, you know, kill it, actually, he was able to rescue the cow. And I tell you, he, he was telling me as if he meant it. He was looking me in the eye and telling me like it was. You ever been talking to somebody like that? It's really important to you what you're trying to tell them. And you might as well be talking to yourself. You ever had that happen? Huh? Don't be that person when the gospel's being preached. Don't be that person. That's double-hearted. That's doubtful. Don't listen to the gospel like you don't believe it. Ask God to give you a heart to believe it, to embrace it, to understand it, to open our eyes. This is talking about rejecting God's word, and we don't want to do that. Look at verse 13. I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I'll place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. Why did Christ come to this earth? To bring his people to righteousness they didn't have and couldn't create for themselves. It's no longer out of our reach. It's in Christ. If we have him, we have all the righteousness we need. Why did Christ come? To bring salvation. And notice whose salvation it is there. It says, my salvation. You see those two little letters? My salvation. It's God. Oh, it's ours to have in Christ. But it's not ours, listen to this, to do or to accomplish. Now, Christ has already done that. He's not tearing or waiting in heaven to see who accepts him. No, it's done. He finished the work at Calvary, and he placed salvation in Zion. That's in his people. How? In their hearts, their new hearts by the Spirit of God. And that's hard to imagine. You know, the word my appears three times in this verse. Do you see it there? Three times it appears. He says, my righteousness. You see, you and I have no righteousness of our own, but God gives his righteousness to his people, the righteousness of Christ. Now look at me. Remember that. Secondly, my salvation. You and I have no salvation apart from Christ. We can't save ourselves, but God gives salvation, the salvation found only in Christ through his blood to his people. Remember that. My glory, it says, you and I have no glory of our own. Have I proved that to you? It's just a bunch of silly memories, foolishness 
that I think is important. It's vanity of vanities, and it'll vanish one day with me. But his glory, God's glory, his glory, he says, is Israel, his people, his children. Remember that. You say, that's hard to imagine, that I could be the glory of God. It's hard to imagine until we remember or realize he loves us so much. Why are we his glory? Listen to me. Because he's made us just like Christ. Now, now I see why I could be his glory. When he looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes, oh, that's my glory. That's my boy. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my child. It's amazing and wonderful. But, folks, that's good news. If we're in Christ, it's all going to be all right. It's going to be better than all right. It's going to be perfect right now and always will be. And I know I'm a mess. I'm still a mess. I'm like Lot's wife by nature. But in Christ, I'm as perfect as God's own son. It couldn't be any better than that. Remember Lot's wife and remember Christ. All right, let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, help us to remember. We're thankful for your word. Pray you'll press your word upon our hearts. Lord, bless us in the days ahead. Give us an ever-present desire to worship thee, to bow at thy feet, to rejoice in thy goodness and mercy to us. Lord, give this people wisdom. Give this people direction and understanding and a heart to seek and to do thy will. And Lord, we lift up Brother Jeff once again and those that are sick and need thee especially. Lord, we know, you know what he and we need with, without our even asking or saying it. Do what's best for us as you always have. We give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.